0: What's up, one o'clock? How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Awesome, awesome, good, 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 let's go. Exodus chapter uh, seven is where we're at. So if you're new with us, welcome. Uh, we're so glad you're here, welcome. We, we are uh, in the midst of a series through the Old Testament book of Exodus, right? So we're sort of trudging our way through this thing. We, we, we find ourselves in Exodus seven, uh, picking it up in verse 14. We finished off with verse 13 uh, last week. And uh, let me ask you, this: how, how, many, of y'all, uh, how, how many of y'all were here uh, last Sunday, you were here. Last Sunday, raise your hand. Awesome. Better get, matter of fact, better yet, how many of you weren't here last Sunday? Let's shame you for a moment. Let's raise your hands. Okay, let's lavish you with guilt. Um, <laughs> good. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here today. So here's the deal. If if you were here last Sunday, uh, you'll remember this. And if you weren't here last Sunday, then then hopefully this will help you. Um, last Sunday we were in the first half of of the book of Exodus in chapter seven, and and we. Uh, we we saw there was this moment. Remember this? That there was this moment where we were reminded of the fact that uh, Moses and his brother Aaron were were each over eighty years old when God started to use them, right? I this was a point that was made explicitly in the first half of chapter 7, that, that Moses, Moses was 80, uh, Aaron was 83 when God started to use them uh, to confront Pharaoh. And, and what we took away from that family, what we saw from that, what we noticed is, is that this clearly teaches us that there's no such thing as retiring from God's mission for your life right? And so, so, so like in our culture, we have this idea that there's like this uh, sort of this invisible finish line somewhere uh, when we get to a certain age where we get to cross that finish line and be done with it all, right? But that is not a biblical idea in the sense that uh, we, we, never, we never retire from the Great Commission, right? We never retire from God's Word. We never retire from God's purposes, right? So the idea was this. The Lord wants to use people of all ages, people of every age, in order to accomplish his mission in this world. Amen? Right? Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Now, um, in in that vein, just so you know, family, in that vein, I am particularly grateful for uh, the men and women who are in this church who are older and wiser than I am, Um. They're such a gift, right? And there, there, are, there are so many men and women in this church who are older and wiser than I am, who have some years on them, who, uh, who, who maybe have been not only walking with the Lord for longer than I have, but maybe have been walking with the Lord even longer than I've been alive. And they have so much wisdom to give, so much wisdom to offer, uh, which is, a, a, it's, it's priceless, man. It's totally priceless. And one of these people that, that are, that, that's in this church that fits that description is, is this brother named Ron Guess. How many of y'all know Ron? Who, who knows Ron Guess? Yeah? Uh, if you know Ron Guess, if you don't know Ron Guess, I brought in a picture of Ron. I'll throw that up. Um, this is the day when I actually got TJ over there to swap glasses with Ron. It's one of my favorite pictures ever. Um... So that's, that's Ron on the right, right? So, so that's Ron. Maybe some of you have even met him and didn't know his name. That's Ron Guest on the right, and I'm talking to you. Uh, you know, so, some of y'all know, you know so much wisdom, uh, so, so much insight, so much godly wisdom. He and Catherine are just a gem. They're just so amazing. And there have been moments, actually numerous moments, where I have just called Ron and been like, bro, I'm having a terrible week. Would you just talk to me, right? I just got so much godly wisdom. And there was an example of this, an uh, example of the wealth of wisdom this man has here recently. I was, uh, I was officiating this wedding uh, for a couple in our church up at, up at University of Georgia in the chapel there, and, and I happened to, uh, uh, it happened to be raining on that day, right? So, so Heather and I, my wife and I, we drove up there. Uh, we, if you're familiar with the University of Georgia, there's this place on North Campus. They have, a, uh, they have a parking garage about a half mile away from the chapel, so we parked in the parking garage and uh, about on the second or third level. But the problem was, we were going to have to walk a half mile to the chapel in the rain, and we're all dressed up, I'm about to do a wedding, and we don't have an umbrella, right, which is a problem. And so we're trying, we're stressing out, going, what are we going to do? Well, lo and behold, at that, at that precise moment, Ron and Kathy come driving up in their car into the parking garage, and they come up to our level, and, and Ron sees us, and Ron, uh, he, he, he and Kathy, they, they lower the window, and Ron, Ron screams, it's only Ron Katie, like, hey, brother, get in my car. He said, I'm going to drive y'all up to the chapel. You don't have to walk around in this rain. Get in my car. So me and Heather were like, oh, are you serious? Thank you so much. Ron and Kathy, That's awesome. So we hop in the back seat. And then y'all like, Ron did something that I didn't know he was going to do. He, we, we get in. We shut the door. And right there, he whips the car around. He turns it around. And he begins to go the wrong way down a one-way ramp in order to find the exit to the parking garage. And I'm telling you, family, like that this wouldn't have been a problem, except for the fact that as we're heading down the wrong way in on a one-way ramp, cars are coming around and they're seeing them and they're swerving, right? So cars are swerving, and, we, and, I, and I'm holding my breath and I'm looking at Heather going, what do we do, what do we do? And, and, and finally, I got the courage, finally, I said to Ron, I said, Ron, Ron, did you know we're going the wrong way? We're going the wrong way. I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. True story, family, Ron said to me in this really calm voice, he said, uh, Son, let me tell you something. He said, when you get to be my age, you do whatever you want to behind the wheel of a car. Right? Is this a rule? And then he said this to me. He said, he said let me tell you a secret, Anson. You see all these people swerving? <laughs> yeah, I do. So you see all these people swerving? You know what they're doing right now? They're swerving, but they're looking inside my car, and they see my white hair, and you know what they're thinking of themselves? Bless his heart. <laughs> so I said, I said, Ron, that might be the greatest wisdom you've ever given me in your life. Like, I will never forget that, right? Ever, ever, ever. So awesome. Now, fa- family, here's why I you that story. Okay, so, so I want to I ask, ask you this question. Okay, here's a question for you. What is, think about this. What is the greatest nugget of wisdom you've ever received? You, just... Just meditate on that for a moment. Just think about that. Dwell on that for a second, right? And, and that might be even hard to come up with because you, you know you got a couple seconds to think about. It, but have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about that? What, what is the greatest piece of wisdom anyone has ever given to you? Like you just think maybe it was your maybe it's a, a grandparent, maybe it was some sort of relative, maybe it was someone in, in a mission community group or small group. Maybe you read it. You know, maybe you read it in a book. But think about what is the greatest piece of wisdom you've ever received. And I think we would all agree, man, I think we'd all agree that there's a lot of good wisdom out there, right? I mean, I, th- I think we'd all agree with that. Like, like, the, like, all around us, all the time, like, there's a lot of foolishness, too, amen? But there is a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom out there. Matter of fact, I, I'm reading this book, one of these books I'm reading right now, I was reading it this week, and I think this kind of got me on this sort of rabbit trail because um, I'm reading this book, and there's a chapter in this book I'm reading right now that's talking about wisdom, right? And it, and it's actually, uh, it actually is giving examples uh, of of wisdom that, that has been given throughout uh, throughout history. Matter of fact, uh, so, some of some of these you know wise nuggets are, are anonymous, but but others have been given by even you know celebrities or famous people. And it was just sort of listing out these different you know points of wisdom and nuggets of wisdom that have been given throughout history. I brought in a few uh, uh, someone according to this book. So, someone once offered this piece of wisdom, and an anonymous, anonymous person once said this. Check this out. They said, "If at first you don't succeed," Skydiving is not for you. It's true. It's totally true. It's good, right? Additionally, this may be my favorite. Uh, The poet Oscar Wilde once said this, some cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. That'll preach, right? I mean, I mean, you, you, you know those people, you know those people, you, you don't act like you don't have those people in your life, those people in your life where as you see them walk away, internally you're going, yay, you know what I'm saying? Let's yeah. to that godly, I know how y'all are. Um... <laughs> This, this was cool. I didn't, I didn't actually know this was a real thing until I read this. Did you know the famous theoretical physicist uh, Albert Einstein once said this? Albert Einstein, this is, my, this is a great quote. Albert Einstein once said this, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. Amen. <laughs> hey I mean, that's good stuff, right? See, here's the point, family. Here, here's the point. There is a lot of really good wisdom out there. There's a, there's a lot of really good wisdom all around us and here's what all wisdom has in common, beloved. I want you to think about this. Um, all wisdom, no matter, where you get, no matter where you hear it, no matter if you read it or if it's given to you by someone you love, all wisdom in this world, all of it has one thing in common and it's this. Wisdom is always meant to help us, right? I mean, that's one of the things that makes it wisdom. In fact, right? I mean, so, so like wisdom, uh, wisdom is actually never meant to harm us. True wisdom is actually always meant to help us. So, so like, for instance, if someone, uh, if someone cares about me enough to try to offer me wisdom, uh, the reason they're offering me wisdom is, is because it's always meant to help me to be, uh, to be better, right? To be a better man or, or to be a better husband or be a better father or be a better follower of Jesus or better son or better neighbor, right? I mean, it's, it's always intended to help me, And here's the thing, family, having said all that, I want to be clear on something. Just so you know, there is no wisdom in this entire universe that is more valuable or more helpful or more reliable or more true than the wisdom of God right so so like so like yeah there's some there's some helpful wisdom out there maybe you read it in a book maybe someone shares it with you and that can be helpful but you gotta understand we gotta be clear on this this is foundational to where we're going today there is no wisdom in this universe more valuable more reliable or more always true than the wisdom of god and here's the thing family here's the thing whenever we come face to face with the wisdom of god it is critical that we actually listen to that wisdom from God. Because, here's the thing, if we refuse to listen to the wisdom of God, and if we shut our ears to the wisdom of God, and if we try to ignore the wisdom of God, here's the reality, family. It will always, 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 eventually end badly. You know what? Just you know, one of the clearest examples of this in all of human history is Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. One of the clearest examples of what it looks like to, to ignore the wisdom of God and to resist the wisdom of God is, is this brother Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And this is exactly what brings us to the middle of Exodus chapter 7, family. So, so let me show what I'm talking about. Exodus 7, and again, pick it up in verse 14. And and for those of you who may be new with us, and there are some of y'all new with us, this is your first Sunday here to Emmaus, and we, we love you, and we're glad you're here, and, uh, or, or maybe you've been gone for a few weeks, and you're, you're just now able to dip back in, here's what you need to know about where we're at in this story, it's very important that you understand what's happening at this moment, right, so... Uh, So so we began this series, we opened up the book of Exodus, and the very first thing we saw is that the nation of Egypt has has essentially, uh, they've enslaved an entire people group. They've enslaved an entire race of people, right? The nation of of, of Egypt has enslaved the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites as we know them. And then in that culture, in that, in that climate, that, that, that sociological climate, uh, Moses is born. The baby Moses is born, and he's born at a very uh, precarious time because he's born into a culture where the Pharaoh of Egypt has commanded that every single baby boy that's born to the Hebrew people be immediately thrown into the Nile River and be killed. And that's the culture, that's the, that's the climate that Moses is born into, but thankfully, by God's grace, his mom figures out a way to save him, and then Moses uh, grows up in Pharaoh's household as a, as a son to, to the princess, a son to Pharaoh's daughter, ironically, as God would have it. Then after he grows up, we saw at some point he, he he kills a guy and he has to run to Midian and he meets a wife and he gets married and then when he's 80 years old out in the middle of the backside of nowhere in the desert, uh, he encounters God at a burning bush and God commands him. He says, I'm gonna use you to set my people free. I'm gonna use you to finally let my people free from the clutches of, of Pharaoh and, and I want you to go confront Pharaoh and tell him that I've commanded him to let my people go. And so Moses eventually decides, he obeys God, he goes, he confronts Pharaoh, says God, Yahweh said, God said, let his people go. But Pharaoh refuses to listen to to what God has said and instead makes life even harder for God's people who were enslaved by him. And so eventually, Moses gets upset. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get why God isn't doing something about it. And the Lord says, Moses, just be patient. Just wait on me. Trust me. I'm going to force this man to let my people go, which led us up to last Sunday when we had this crazy moment this amazing moment at the beginning of Exodus chapter 7 where, remember, you got Moses and his brother Aaron in Pharaoh's throne room because God has commanded them to go confront him again. And they're in Pharaoh's throne room and Aaron has this moment where he picks up his staff, this big dead stick of wood, and he throws it on the ground and it becomes a what? A snake, right? It becomes a serpent. So, right, you just sort of slide around. And then, and then Pharaoh calls in for backup. He calls his magicians over. And we're told that they did the same thing by their secret arts, which the Hebrew literally means demonic powers and incantations. And so, they, with the power of, of darkness, they throw their staffs down and their staffs also become snakes. But God proves that He is more powerful than Pharaoh and all of his false gods when Aaron's snake eats the other snakes, right? So Pharaoh's humiliated. I mean, he, he, God has proven, I am, I am stronger, I'm stronger, I'm God. And yet, at the end of that story, here's what we saw. In spite of that, Pharaoh refuses to listen to the wisdom of God. He still refuses to let these people go. And that is what brings us to verse 14. Watch what happens next, family. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. Now, right out of the gate, I want you to notice something, family. It's so important, such a big deal. Notice, right here, notice that the setting for this story has now officially changed. Do you see that? The setting has changed. So like last week we were in Pharaoh's throne room where all that stuff was going down and now the setting just changed. We've gone from Pharaoh's throne room to the banks of the Nile River. And this is actually really interesting. Like it seems like, it seems sort of inconsequential but the the reality is it's very fascinating because um, Bible scholars actually tell us that most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely what has happened is that Pharaoh, after that last meeting where he got humiliated because his snakes got eaten up by the other snake, Pharaoh most likely had decided... (laughs) I ain't seeing those idiots again. I don't. They, they, those guys are crazy. I'm done. I'm finished. I don't want to. No, out of sight, out of mind, I'll just ignore them. They are not welcome here. I will not give them an audience anymore. They cannot come in here. I'm done with those fools. I'm done with them, right? And we don't know for sure Other Bible scholars say most likely what's happened is that Pharaoh decided they're not welcome here. Uh, another, Another thought that other Bible scholars have is that the reason that Pharaoh was going down specifically in the morning to the Nile River is because it was in the morning when the Egyptians would worship the false gods who were devoted to the Nile River. We don't know for sure. Like that's At a certain point, it's conjecture, okay? But what we do know is this. What we do know from the text, I love this. Notice what God is clearly saying here, family. Here is God saying to Moses, he says, hey, bro, listen, I'm gonna give you some information that you're not privy to, but I am because I'm God, okay? In the morning, Pharaoh is gonna be going to the banks of the Nile River, and when he does, I want you to bother him to the glory of God. Go bug that man. He's going to be down there, and I want you to show up. You're the last person you want to see. I want you to show up. And now pay close attention to what God wants him to do. Watch this. Watch what God says here, family. Look at verse 16. Check this out. And you shall say to Pharaoh, you shall say to him, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far... You have not obeyed. no. no did you see that? I you see that, okay? I want you to look at it again. I uh, want you to look at that closely, family. I want you to see what's actually happening in verse 16, because check this out. The Lord just clearly gave Moses a very specific message to, to proclaim to Pharaoh. Did you see that? That's what God just did in verse 16. God, God just gave Moses a very specific message to proclaim to Pharaoh, but fascinatingly, Notice this, fascinatingly, it is the exact same message that he shared with Pharaoh before. Remember the one that Pharaoh didn't listen to? Remember the one that Pharaoh ignored? It's the the exact same message as before. In other words, beloved, look at this. In other words, God's terms have not changed. You see this? God has not changed his message. Or another way we could say it with this, family, God does not allow Pharaoh's stubbornness of heart or his unwillingness to obey God, God doesn't allow that to influence him one tiny bit. He doesn't allow it to influence him. He doesn't allow Pharaoh's response to the previous message to influence the next message. Listen, in other words, God doesn't, notice, notice family, God doesn't make a counteroffer to Pharaoh. He doesn't do that. It's not like the Lord says, Moses, uh, Pharaoh's going to go down to the Nile River in the morning, and I want you to say to him, you know, approach him and say, hey, God says let my people go, but since you won't let his people go, can you just let some of them go? Like 30, can you give me 30? Can you do 30? Is that cool? He didn't do that. Notice God doesn't say, hey, say to Pharaoh, uh, God said let his people go, and you're unwilling to let his people go, so since you're unwilling to let his people go, uh, can, you just, can you just let him go free for a day? Just a day. Matter of fact, a half hour. Give me a half hour. I'll take him out for a latte, give him a great big hug, encourage him, it'll be fine. Can you give, me a, give me a half hour. That's not asking much, Half hour? Notice, family, that the Lord doesn't say, hey, Pharaoh, um, I want you to let my people go, but you won't let my people go. So since you won't let my people go, how about we change the um, terms a little bit? Can you just be nicer to them? You can keep them, but just be nice. Don't beat them, don't yell at them, give them health care. Meet me in the middle, bro. Meet me in the middle. And don't miss it. This is so important, family. Notice, the Lord doesn't play that negotiation game. Doesn't do it. But instead of Emmaus, the Lord tells Moses to give Pharaoh the exact same message as before. In spite of his unwillingness to listen, he tells him, give the same message to him. And just so you know, family, this actually brings us to the very first, very important point of this sermon, which is this right here. Number one, number one, first point. Listen, God's word never changes. See, beloved, don't miss this. We're seeing something about the character and nature of God here. We're seeing something about his character. We're learning something about God's nature here. I I want to be real clear about something right now. When it comes to God's word, okay, when it comes to what God has said, God does not negotiate. He just doesn't, man. When it comes to God's word, when it comes to what God has said, beloved, listen, God doesn't cut deals. God doesn't apologize for what he has said. God doesn't settle out of court. God doesn't give in to our demands. God doesn't accept counter offers. And God is not some cosmic used car salesman anxiously awaiting us to give him a counter proposal that maybe he can accept. God didn't play that game, y'all. He just, he just never does. See, beloved, at the risk of sounding like a crazy fundamentalist, let me just say this because it's absolutely true. Somewhere on the line, here's what we all got to understand, beloved. What God has said, God has said, and he has said it for a very good reason. And we may not get it completely. We may not comprehend it, absolutely. But the reality is, beloved, what God has said, God has said. And he has said it for a very good reason. And you know what? Just because we may sometimes, much like Pharaoh in this story, try to ignore what he said, that does not change what he said. And you know what? Furthermore, just because sometimes we may not necessarily like what God said, That does not change what he said. Family, listen, it's not not as if the God of the universe, okay, who created everything, right, created everything, created every little thing, I'm talking ostrich and, 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 and the coffee bean, amen, and, and, and butterflies and the medulla oblongata, right, and everything. Like God, God who created everything. It's not as if he who is holy and all-powerful and all-knowing all the time and always just and pure, it's not as if he, the God of the universe, is somehow going to negotiate with my little stubborn heart. Right. He's just not going to do it, man. It's just not going to happen. Listen, God, God doesn't care about the art of the deal, right? Didn't read the book, right? Didn't, didn't he just, he, he doesn't play that game. So the question becomes this, if God says something, <laughs> how do you, at the risk of being transparent in church, um, some of us grew up, I won't say it, to get in trouble. Um, how many of you have ever read a verse in the Bible that you didn't like? <laughs> I love at half the room's like, is that okay? Uh, okay. Um, haven't we all, I mean, haven't we all, how many of you, I mean, I'm talking a command. I'm talking like a do this or don't do that. I'm talking like a thou shalt or thou shalt not or even Jesus, you know, going, hey, here's, you've heard it said, but I say, right? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever read something like that? You're like, I don't like that. I, 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 that doesn't appeal to me. Right? Anybody? Right? I have. Totally. Totally. About once a week, honestly. Um, well, the question becomes, if I read something, and not just something, if I read what God has said, all scriptures God breathed. if I read something from the Lord that God has said, and I don't like it. Well, at that point, what am I to do? Is am I to, am I to now enter into negotiations with the Lord? Am I now to uh, sort of enter into a dispute, hoping that somehow he meets me in the middle, right, and, 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 and sees some validation in, in my uh, argument? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? So, 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 for instance, think about it this way. Um, you know, First Corinthians 6, verse 18 uh, the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, writing the very words of God, right? Um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Incidentally, that word sexual immorality in the Greek is the Greek word pornea, which is where we get our word porn from, where we make the word pornography. And it literally means, check this out, it literally means sex outside of the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what that word means. That's what it means. not a very popular verse in 21st century America, amen? I mean, she's not. Um, so, so, so what am I to do if I read that verse and do not like it? Am I to go, well, I don't like that. Lord, I don't like that. It's 21st century. It's lame. I mean, don't you see what's happening around you? And it's, it's my body. I can do with my body what I want to do with my body. And am I to somehow enter into the dispute with the Lord? And is the Lord then going to meet me in the middle? Is the Lord's response to my negotiation at that point going to be, well, you know what? You're right. I hadn't thought about it that way. Okay, well, tell you what. Can you, can you, just, not, can you just not do it very often then? I'll give you a day. One day a week. Okay? Is it? Is that the game we're supposed to play? Coloss- or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, next verse is, is uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19 says this. Check this out. It says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. It also means gossiping. Whoever goes around gossiping, slandering, reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Right? What am I supposed to do if I don't like that? I like, well, I don't think gossiping is a very big deal. I mean, just talking about somebody, right? And most of the time, I do it in a prayer request. Please pray for so and so because they are dumb, right? Um, and and you know, and what's the big deal? What's the big deal? If it's, I mean, it's just it's gossip. It's just gossip. What is the big deal with gossip? I don't get it. And if the Lord's gonna go, well, you know what? You got a point. You got a point. And I didn't realize that. And I just checked out this thing called Twitter, and I see that apparently it's a way of life. Everybody does it. And so I tell you what. Um, I tell you what. Ju- just, just, just. Just always do it behind someone's back. Just be nice to them with their face, okay? Deal. <laughs> Deal. Right? We just do it that way. <laughs> Another popular one in our culture, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. What? I don't like it. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what, God? You should love a cheerful spender. If you love a cheerful spender, I'd be right biblical, right? Why? does he got to be giver? What I got to give It's my money. Why do I got to give and be generous? And, and the Lord's going to go, you know what? You're right. I didn't think about that. It is your money. Um, so tell you what, uh, can you just throw me a tip every now and then with your money? Is that cool? Just throw me... How about a dollar a month? Dollar a month. Can you just give me a dollar a month? Because you know I gave you um, life, right? I mean, can you just do that? You just get, hey, help me out a little bit, please. What is this game we play, right? What is this game we play? <sighs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. <laughs> we, we hate this one, man. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, which literally means complaining. Uh-huh. Y'all, think about this. Do all things without complaining. All things. (laughs) Like, by definition, that means everything. Do everything without complaining. Everything. Well, Lord, I don't. Lord, I don't. Lord, how much. Lord, how in the world are these people going to know how bad I have it if you don't let me complain? They need to know how hard my life is, Lord. Please. Like, be, you know, you got a good point. You got a good point. Okay, I'll tell you what. Um, that's fine. You can complain. But can you please just not do it on Facebook anymore? Because everyone's laughing at you, right? I mean, <laughs> I'll just say what we're thinking, right? What are we going to play these guys? Listen, family. That's, that's nonsense, right? We, listen, we hear that and we go, that's nonsense. We wouldn't enter into a dispute like that with the Lord thinking that somehow he's gonna meet us in the middle. But you know what? Yeah, let's just be real. Oftentimes our lives say something different. I'll just ignore it, it'll go away. Family, please hear me, you gotta hear me. God doesn't play the negotiation game with his word. God doesn't negotiate with our sin. God's word never changes. It never, ever, ever, ever changes. And the point, listen, the takeaway, the point is simply this, beloved. If at some point, while reading the Bible, reading the scriptures, you happen to read something that you disagree with, guess what? You should change your mind. You should change your mind because God is not going to change his. It's not going to happen. And just so you know, beloved, this is exactly what Pharaoh's problem is here in this text in Exodus chapter 7. Listen, in his arrogance and in his pride, he refuses to change his mind. We're gonna see this over the next nine weeks. Plague after plague after plague after plague. In his arrogance and his pride, he refuses to change his mind when confronted with the wisdom of God, right? And so as a result of this, check out what God says next, family. Look at verse 16. What's this? And you shall say to him, the Lord... The God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, but so far you have not obeyed. Thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Gross. Ew, right? And I mean, to listen, so here's our problem, right? Here's our problem. When it comes to this story, many of us, we're so familiar with it, we become numb to how disgusting it is. Yo, we're, not supposed to come, we're not supposed to be numb to this stuff. I mean, we're supposed to see this with fresh eyes. Like, just for a moment, think about how absolutely wretched this is. Think about how... What? The Nile River is going to become blood. Not only that, vessels of water, vessels that are filled with water in homes are going to become blood. We're told that the, the fish are going to die. We're told that the entire Nile River is going to stink. By the way, I love, I love the King James Version of that. It says, the Nile shall stinketh. I love that. <laughs> it says, it's awesome. The Nile shall stinketh. Think about how gross this is, man. Like feel the way, ugh. I'm not about you. I I'm not a blood guy. Yeah. Right? I mean. I'm sorta freaked out by blood. Anybody else in here freaked out by blood? Anybody? Anybody? Like me and two of my neurotic friends? Okay, good. Um, I, I just I just, seriously, there's something about blood that just, it's repulsing me. um, I don't like to think about blood. Uh, I don't like to talk about blood. I, I I don't even like to watch movies where I know the blood is fake. I know it's fake. Like, in my mind, I know it's fake, but I don't even like to watch movies even though I know the blood's fake. Like, family, I have not seen a scary movie since college. I'm 40, man. I'm 40. I have not seen a scary movie since I was in college. Well, I take that back. I saw Left Behind, but that was mostly scary because the acting was so terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've seen Kirk Cameron movies. Those are the only scary movies I've seen. Um, <laughs> I digress. It's one, y'all. It's one. I'm trying to preach. Um, I, don't, I don't like blood. Seriously, I don't even watch movies with blood where I know there's going to be blood. I can remember when I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, um, the, uh, the Red Cross came to our school to do a blood drive. Anybody else have that <laughs> happen? Anybody? The Red Cross came to our school to do a blood drive, and, uh, and I, I, had, I, had, I was valid and determined, man. I was, I was like, I was like there, there is no way I'm giving these people my blood. It's just nasty. Who shows up at your school and says, I want your blood? It's just disgusting, <laughs> right? I was valid and determined. There's no way I'm giving these people my blood until I heard that if I did give them my blood, I could skip third period, <laughs> at which point I was like, I'm a believer. Take it. Yes, I believe in the blood cause, right? Um. And so, third period, I went. I went to the gym. They were doing this in the gym, and I went in the gymnasium. I'll never forget. I st- you know, stand in line until you can get behind a partition where you can't see what's happening behind the partition, right? And you, uh, you sign a sheet of paper that I guess says, you know, if I don't, if I die, I won't sue or whatever. And um, you, they took me behind this partition and they put me on this big gurney. <laughs> and i would never done this before. They put me on this big gurney, and some of y'all done this. Uh, They roll up my sleeve. I'm laying on this gurney, they roll up my sleeve, they tie something around here, and they stick a big needle into my arm, and I'm watching a plastic bag (laughs) fill with my blood. My blood. And I kid you not, family, I woke up an hour later in the school nurse's office. (laughs) For real. I passed out. I was, I was done, right? I'm watching my blood, and I, was, I, I passed out, man. Like, like Justin Bieber in a UFC match. I was gone. I was just over, man. I was just finished. I was like, duh, I can't do it. Because listen, that's how I feel about blood. That's how I feel about blood. I don't like it. I don't want to see it. I'm really happy the Lord gave it to me, but I wanted to stay in my body. That's what you should say, right? <laughs> now, now watch it. Here's why I tell you that, family. family. Um, because I had this crazy phobia with blood, This text messes with me. I mean, because I'm getting images, man. I'm getting visuals, right? I mean, think about what God's saying here. The Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, he is, he is going, what he's just declared, what he just promised is that he is literally going to transform the molecules of water in the Nile River into molecules of blood. That's what he said. And I get it, man. Like, we talked about this last week, right? Remember we talked about you know, because we don't like to deal with the supernatural, what do we try to do? We try to naturally explain away that which is supernatural because we don't like to deal with the supernatural because we're sinners. And so, like, supernatural things we, we can't control, well, they're, they're bigger than us. And so, we try to naturally explain away. It's, it's, it's due to natural phenomena. That's what we try to do. And I, 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 there was more of that this week, man. I was, I was reading, uh, there was one, one specific scholar that I read this week who said that uh, he said, Well, I don't believe that the Nile River literally turned into blood. He said, "Here's what I believe." He said, "He said I believe that um, it's true." He, He said, "He said his theory is that there were these torrential rains at the precise moment where they needed to be. There were these torrential rains that caused a lot of red soil, red sediment next to the Nile to fill up the Nile River, causing it to appear to be blood." Which doesn't make any sense, family. Because if that's the case, then how in the world do you explain the fact that all the fish died? Additionally, if that was the case, why wasn't Pharaoh's response to Moses just to go, dude, what's a big deal? This happens every three weeks. It rained, right? There was, there was another scholar that I read who said, uh, he said, I don't believe that the Nile River literally turned into blood. I believe it was this red algae that covered the Nile causing it to appear to be blood. But again, family, that doesn't make any sense at all. Because if that was the case, then how in the world did people's vessels filled with water at their homes also turn red? Like how'd the algae get to grandma's house? What? We try to naturally explain away the supernatural, kidding oh, me, the supernatural. Family, listen, you believe what you want to about this, but I'm telling you, according to the Bible right here, God literally transformed the water of the Nile River into blood. And you know what's interesting? When you think about it, it actually starts to make a whole lot of sense. But because here's the deal, family, by turning the Nile River into blood, you know what? God was making it absolutely impossible for the Egyptian people to ignore the fact that their nation was guilty of murdering thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little baby boys in the Nile River. It's as if God was saying, behold your sin, behold your guilt, behold your shame. It was impossible for them to ignore it. And just so you know, beloved, this actually brings us to the second point of this sermon, which is this right here. Number two, number two, second point is this our sin always has consequences. Our sin always has consequences, it always does. There is always a price to pay as a result of indulging in sin. Always, beloved, let me be clear. One of the ways, and I want you to think about that, maybe this will help you. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, but it's absolutely true. Think about this. One of the ways that God proves to us that he is actually real is by allowing our sins to have consequences. I'm telling you, man, like like the next time you experience the painful consequences of your sin, I hope that you would remember that at that moment, it is actually a powerful apologetic from God proving to you that he's real. Because understand, family, the hope is that our eyes will finally be opened up from our spiritual blindness as a result of sin's consequences. That's the hope, right? That's the aim. I mean, I mean, let's be honest, family. Can we just all be real for a second? Think about it. Like it or not, painful consequences often have a way of getting our attention like nothing else. Amen? I mean, come on. Any of us who have experienced the consequences of sin know this to be the case. Right? Everybody's like, hey, don't do this. 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 We don't listen. We do it. And then, boom, it hurts. Oh, now I know not to do it. Right? It's just basic. painful consequences have a way of getting our attention like nothing else. Think about it, man. When the stubborn little kid touches that hot burner on the stovetop, he's probably gonna learn a lesson. Probably gonna learn a lesson. Painful consequences have a way of finally getting our attention when nothing else will. So consequently, so consequently, the adulterer will lose trust and maybe even his or her family as a consequence of the sin of, Adultery, the gossip will lose friends and maybe even destroy relationships as a consequence of the sin of gossip, right? We've seen this. The thief will lose a good reputation and possibly, potentially even his freedom, his freedom as a result, a consequence of the sin of stealing. The greedy person will lose the ability to ever feel content with what he or she has as a consequence to their greed and materialism and lack of generosity. And on and on and on it goes, family. And believe it or not, beloved, the consequences of sin, as terrible as they may feel, guess what? They're actually an act of God's grace in your life. Do you know that? Did you know that sin's consequences are actually an act of God's grace in your life because, family, they are meant to remind us that sin is not where you can find fullness of joy. Sin is not where fullness of joy is, but instead, family, fullness of joy is in the presence of God. Fullness of joy is in obedience to God. True freedom, true freedom, is actually found in obedience to God. To God, and so every single time we experience the painful consequences of sin, it's God with his loving voice saying to us, joy cannot be found here. Joy cannot be found here. Joy cannot be found here. Consequences are evidence of God's grace in our lives. But you know the weird thing? Here's the weird thing. Here's the really goofy thing, family. You ever notice this? Whenever we are eyeball deep in our own sin, we're never actually thinking about the consequences of sin, are we? We're really not, man. Whenever we're sinning, whenever we're indulging in sin, we're not thinking to ourselves, I wonder how this is going to wreck my life tomorrow. I wonder what price there's going to be to pay next week because of what I'm doing now. We're not thinking about that. Why? Well, because quite frankly, family, sin is intoxicating it's like a drug, right? It's like a drug and it feels so stinking good at the time and our flesh enjoys it and it appeals to our senses, right? That's what it does, it appeals to our senses. Incidentally, this is why the New Testament uses the word sensuality because that sensuality literally means it appeals to the senses and that's what sin always does. It appeals to our senses, family, and so we enjoy it. But here's the problem, Mayus, here's the problem. When that temporary, good, euphoric feeling that sin provides, finally fades away, there is always, always, always a very real mess that we have to deal with. Because you know what sin is like? Listen, you know what sin is like? Sin, it's, it's like a chocolate-covered hand grenade. That's what it is. Mm, tastes good, mm, tastes good, mm, tastes good. Boom, head's gone. <laughs> I'm just telling you. That's a picture of sin. One of the things, one of the things that I love with all of my heart is chicken wings. Amen? Anybody else in here love some chicken wings? Oh, praise the Lord, chicken wings. I, seriously, I love chicken wings. I'll find myself, this is a true story, I find myself thinking of chicken wings at weird times. I do. I love them that much, man. I'll be, I'll be like in sermon prep going, Exodus chapter 7. Oh, the flesh and the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and Egyptians you oh, chicken wings. <laughs> yes, Lord, right? Need them. I, I love me some tricks. Matter of fact, I cannot, <laughs> I can't back this up theologically. But by the way, you love when a preacher says that. I can't back this up theologically, but. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't bag this up theologically. I can't find a verse for this, but I'm absolutely convinced, family, that at the wedding supper for the lamb in the new heavens and new earth, there's gonna be all you can eat chicken wings. Amen? For real. Like, we're all gonna be sitting at that table, and then, you know, Father Abraham's gonna walk on the platter going, chicken wings! Right? And lay it down, we can dig in. I'll tell you, in heaven, I believe there will be chicken wings in heaven. And ribeye steak. Amen? And no cauliflower rice, because that will be served in hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> i oh... Help me, Lord. Um, I digress. Anyway, I, point is, I love chicken wings, okay? I could, I could eat my weight in chicken wings, y'all. I love them that much. But you know what I've noticed? Here's what I've noticed. As much as I love chicken wings, I cannot eat chicken wings around just anybody. I can't, I can't just eat them just around whoever because, because I've, I've recognized this. It is absolutely impossible for me to not look like a four-year-old after I finish chicken wings. <laughs> oh, seriously, like every time, I, every time I look like a toddler, man. I got sauce all over my face. I got grease up to my elbows, right? I'm wearing a bib, right? It's like my mommy took me out to eat, right? A special dinner. It's sad. It's sad. So, so, so consequently, you know, what? I, I, I can eat chicken wings around my wife. She's safe, right? I can eat chicken wings around my daughter's. Um, I can eat chicken wings around Jesus. Other than that, I'm probably getting a sandwich, right? <laughs> because, because, because for me, because here's the thing about chicken wings. Chicken wings taste good for a minute, but then there's like a really horrible mess to clean up. And <laughs> you know, that's a lot like sin. I tell you, it just is. Listen, family, here's the thing about sin. Sin is really enjoyable for a minute, right? A season. But then there's a really ugly, painful mess because sin always has consequences. It always has consequences. And and be careful, man, because here's the danger. The the danger is that, that, you know, here we are talking about sin always has consequences and that there's somebody out there right now and you're thinking to yourself, You think you said, no, man, I don't believe that. No, man, I don't believe that's true. Matter of fact, I found a loophole. I found a loophole because because you use that word always. Sin always has consequences, but I don't believe that sin always has consequences at all because um, here's the deal, man. I've been lying to my wife for years, I've been ripping off my boss for years, right? I've been as stingy and greedy as Scrooge McDuck for years, man, and I ain't got no consequences. I'm sleeping just fine at night. No consequences in my life, man. I'm sleeping just fine to which, just, you know, to which I would say, nope, you're wrong. You're wrong, because I'm telling you, beloved, just so you know, the fact that you, much like Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, are callous to what God has clearly said in his word, that is absolute proof that the consequences of sin you are experiencing right now are a seared conscience and a hardened heart. And that should terrify you. It should terrify you. Because sin always has consequences, man. It just does. Now look at verse 20, family. Look at verse 20. It's time to get hilarious. It's a, this, is, this to me is, y'all gotta read the Bible. It's just funny, man. It's funny. Look at what happens. In, watch what happens here. Verse 20. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In this, by the way, notice how many times we've read that just in this one chapter. There's, put a pin there. We'll come back to that. Notice how many times we've just read that sentence. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. Again, right? In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. Verse 21. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Watch this. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Y'all, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Like, if you don't find that funny, you need to work on your sense of humor. That is funny. Let me explain why that's funny, okay? Catch what's going on right here. Notice how absolutely ironic this is. Back up, think about what's happening. Yahweh has just miraculously transformed the entire Nile River into what? Blood. Whole river is blood. Which means, family, the entire water supply of Egypt has been ruined. The the, the entire source of life, the life source of Egypt for the entire Egyptian civilization has been ruined. Like the source of their economy has been ruined. All of Egypt's water has been ruined. But... Apparently, according to this text, Pharaoh's devil-worshipping buddies, having been suddenly interrupted from playing a game of Magic the Gathering, come running up to Pharaoh now to try and experiment. They're like, hey, Pharaoh, we got an idea. We got an idea. Let's see if we can also turn our water into blood. Because if we can also turn our water into blood, that must mean we're as powerful as Moses' God. So, as a result of that, these knuckleheads... Discover the little bit of clean water in Egypt that hasn't yet been turned into blood and they proceed to turn it into blood. Hello? When you think about, In other words, family, let me help you. In other words, Pharaoh's buddies, we'll call them Tweedledum and Tweedledumber right now, okay? Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's little buddies were so eager to outdo Moses and Aaron that they actually made the plague on their own country worse. Look, Pharaoh, we too could ruin our water. Yay! Okay, so, I'm not a smart man. Don't amen that. Don't amen that, like last week. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but you know what I was thinking this week? Wouldn't it have been a much better trick for these cats to perform to have turned the blood... Wait for it. Back into water? Anybody agree that maybe that'd be a better trick? Maybe, you know, um, a more useful trick? But see, that's the point, family. They couldn't. They couldn't turn the blood back into water. The best they could possibly do was just to turn more water into blood. And just so you know, family, the really, really powerful point that's being made right here is this. Our God who we worship, our God that we sing to, our God that we rejoice in, our God that we're hearing from his word right now. Listen, our God is so powerful that he can even bend Satan's power to accomplish his own perfect will. Think about that for a second, man. Our God is so sovereign, our God is so in control, he can take the power of the evil one, twist it around, make him look like a fool, and use Satan's power to accomplish his own will. Or another way to say it, maybe a most more popular way to say it that we're more familiar with, is his family, what Satan means for evil, God can always turn it around for what? Good. It's just what he does, man. And think about it, beloved, isn't this exactly what we see at the cross? This is exactly what we see in the gospel. This is exactly what we see when Jesus goes to that cross to die on the cross for sinners, man. Think about what we see. Satan thought that by killing Jesus on the cross, he was going to win a victory. But in all actuality, beloved, ironically, by killing Jesus on the cross, much like turning his own water into blood, he was making things a whole lot worse for himself. I love how God backfires this stuff, man. Incidentally, one of the things we're learning here is this, family. Yes, Satan is powerful, but just to be clear, he's not exactly a rocket scientist. The wisdom of the enemy pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. He is no match for our king. And then finally, family, look at at verse 22. We're gonna be done. Verse 22 says this. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart, was remained, heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck Denial and just to aware, family, this actually brings us to the third and final point of this sermon, which is this number three, number three. Our lives will always ultimately reveal what we believe to be true about God. Say it again. Our lives will always ultimately reveal what we believe to be true about God. Can I tell you something, family? Listen, the best way—don't miss this—the best way to decipher what a person actually believes to be true about God is to simply observe how that person responds to the word of God. Listen, the best way to decipher what a person actually believes to be true about God is not just to ask them, what do you believe about God? And the best way to decipher what a person truly believes about God is not just to ask them to unpack their theological viewpoints and systematic opinions of foundational uh, scriptures or foundational ideas in the scriptures, but in fact, family, the best way to decipher what a person actually believes to be true about God is to simply see how that person responds to the word of God. And this is exactly what we're seeing in this text. This is precisely what we see in Exodus 7. Think about this, family. In this text, Pharaoh responds to the word of God. His response to what God has said, his response to the wisdom of God reveals to us what he believes to be true about God, right? Pharaoh doesn't believe that God is worthy to be listened to. Pharaoh doesn't believe that God is worthy to be obeyed. And so as a result, he does neither. He doesn't listen to him and he doesn't obey him. He does neither because he doesn't believe he's worthy of it. But incidentally, family, the same principle is also true about Moses and Aaron. In this text, Moses and Aaron's response to the word of God reveals to us what they actually believe to be true about God. See, they believe that God is worthy to be trusted, and they believe that God is worthy to be followed, and they believe that God is worthy to be obeyed even when it's difficult. And so as a result of this conviction and this belief, they obey God even when it's hard, and they do what God says, and as a result of their radical obedience, the word of God, as a result of their obedience of their hearing the wisdom of God and saying yes to the Lord, things. Think about this, family. Think about this. God accomplishes a miracle that is going to change the world. All because these guys heard from God and obeyed God. And there's a takeaway here, family. Listen, there's a takeaway here. There's a takeaway. And the takeaway is simply this. And this isn't on the screens, but I encourage you to write it down for this week as we gather in our mission community groups. The takeaway right here is this, family. Listen, listen to me. God can do a whole lot through humble people who do as they're told. Like you really, really can, man. We see it in the lives of Moses and Aaron. God can do a whole lot through humble people who just do as they're told. Let me ask you a question, beloved, as we close. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when you hear God speak? How do you respond when you hear God speak? But again, yeah, let me ask you this. How do you respond when you read something in God's word that you don't like and maybe even you don't agree with? What's your response at that moment? How do you respond when God tells you something that honestly, man, honestly, you, you don't, you don't want to hear? Do you respond like Pharaoh cover your ears I'll just ignore it out of sight out of mind I'll just ignore it it'll go away you don't listen or do we respond much like Moses and Aaron and over and over again in Exodus chapter 7 and throughout it's gonna say this And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them is that our response when we hear from God's word are you more like Pharaoh or are you more like Moses and Aaron? Listen, how will you, family listen, how will you respond to the word of God today? He's God has spoken his word, He's God has spoken to us through his word, how will we respond to it today? Family listen, the answer to that question is always ultimately revealed in how you live your life. Let's pray together, family. I we pray we're gonna respond and worship we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper and Communion. Allow the Holy Spirit to press His Word into our hearts deep, more deeply. Reflect on God's truth and God's Word. And as we do, I just want to ask you that question. Right now in your life, when it comes to God speaking, when it got, comes to you coming face to face with the wisdom of God, are you more like Pharaoh or more like Moses and Aaron? What's your life say? Perhaps some of you are struggling today and you just need to be prayed for. We're gonna have a few people back by the cross, or ministry team, just to be able to pray for you, to lift you up. I'd encourage you to go during this next song and just be prayed for. I mean, just let, let, let God's house be a house of prayer. Let this be a place where true ministry takes place, man. For the rest of you, th- those of you who are in here and you You're Christians, meaning you're saved by the grace of Jesus. He has opened up your eyes to the beauty of the gospel. And this time of communion is for you to go to these tables to remember what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross, taking the bread and dipping the cup, and remember that his body was nailed to a cross for us and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we worship him. We worship him because the only way any of us are able to stand before a holy and righteous God, a perfect God, is through what Christ has accomplished for us. Holy Spirit, I pray for us because I know that we are all tempted in many ways to hear your word and to just walk away unchanged, to ignore it, to pretend like we didn't hear it. And you know better, Lord. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to be people who when we listen, may it be said about us. And they did exactly what the Lord commanded. And we know, Lord, that we can only do that by your strength and with your help, Holy Spirit. So we would ask you, helper, our helper, Holy Spirit, to help us to grow in godliness and in our walk with you. We worship you now and I pray it all through the matchless name of King Jesus. Amen. All right, so if, if this is your first time at the one, we, we typically, uh, you know, we handle a few questions about the sermon that are texted in during the sermon. So uh, the first one was this, real quickly. Um, what are some practical ways to bring our hearts into submission to God's commands, even when we don't like the commands, right? Um, it's a really good question. So, so here's the thing. Uh, I, I think one of the things that we have to understand is there's a reason why, the root word to the, to the word disciple is discipline, right? So, so discipline, uh, here's, here's the thing. Like, like being disciplined means that, the, essentially one of the things it means is there are things we don't necessarily like, but that are good and right and appropriate that we should do, right? I mean, every, every Monday morning, I... I, uh, it's a discipline of mine. Every Monday morning, I go to the gym, and every morning, I, every Monday morning, I hate it. It's horrible. Like, like seriously, it's 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 like hell. It's totally like hell, right? And I'm on the I'm on the thing. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It just does this, right? And and I just don't want to be there. But I know that it's good for me and I know that in order to be disciplined I have to endure right and uh, I, I love what um, I, I love what first Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 uh, remember Paul uses this metaphor with Timothy he says train yourself unto godliness train yourself to be godly physical training is of some value but godliness holds value for all things right so I think I, I think one of the practical ways um, to bring our hearts into submission is just to understand man to understand that part of what it means to be a Christian is that God's going to God's going to call us to do some things that we don't really want to do, right? I remember, like, when God showed up to Moses and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, like, his first response wasn't yippee, right? His first response was, choose somebody else. I don't want to do this, right? So it's biblical to, like, not want to do things that God says, but it's also biblical to do them, right? Right? So, uh, so understand that. I think another practical thing is get accountability. You need accountability, man. You need people in your life who know where your blind spots are and know where you, know, where you fall, where you falter, and where you disbelieve God. We all need that. We all do, right? Second question was, um, how important do you think it was that Moses repeated verbatim what God said every time versus changing it to what he thought would go over better with Pharaoh? It was very important. Next question. Um <laughs> No, what's funny is uh, <laughs> sometimes you read a question, and you're like, man, there's a story behind that. I wonder what, I wonder, I wonder what the story is. Um, yeah, I mean, here, here's, so here's what I would say. Uh, let, me, let me let the Bible speak so I can just hide behind that when I'm done. Um, Paul says, uh, for, it's 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. I love how Paul says, I love how he connects, preach the word, dot, 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 endure suffering. The implication is when you just tell people what God said, a lot of people are going to not like you, right? That's the implication. And so I I think it's, you know, we we need to understand that God, it's like the Apostle Paul says, am I supposed to please God or please man? If I wanted to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ, right? So understanding that we're not going to win a lot of friends if we just say what God says. So so in, on that, yeah, it's very important that he said exactly what God said. Matter of fact, you want to know how important it was? Read Numbers chapter 20, because in Numbers chapter 20, Moses chooses to not do what God had said. God said, hey, these people need water. Speak to the rock, and the water will come out for them. Moses gets up, and I totally get Moses. I understand him, man. I totally get him, because he gets in front of the people, and instead of speaking to the rock, he looks at the people and says, what do you want, you stiff-necked rebels? How long am I going to have to put up with you? And he hits the rock twice. Right? That's like you know that's that's basically preacher burnout. Is what that is. Okay, hits the rock twice, water comes out. Remember what God says? I didn't tell you to do that. You're not leading the people into land now, bro. Poor Moses, right? I'm like one fail, dude. Um, but that's a, that's an indication of how important it is to always say what God said and not go off in your own tangent. Um, final question was. Um, was it in times of adversity? Should we see hard times as a sign of God's good work in our in our pain, just like through the plagues? Uh, yes, and absolutely. See, understand. In, in in our in our Western mindset here in America, we think that God's blessing on our lives looks like everything is great, everything is wonderful. That's just not biblical. Right, I mean Moses. Think about this. Moses, tremendously used by God, spent forty years in the desert herding some other guy's sheep, and then after he finally leads the people out of Egypt, spends another forty years in a desert herding a bunch of crazy sheep, right? Called people, right? I mean, so, so think about it. that's not exactly. I mean, he's in the blast, but that's not your best life now, right? I mean, that's 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 hard stuff, man. That's a hard life, and yet, you know what the Bible says in Exodus thirty-three? He lived his hard life and in Exodus 33. We'll get there, but spoiler, here's what it says. It says, Moses spoke to the Lord as a man would speak to his friend. Face to face as the man would speak to his friend. That's, like, he lived a hard life. Things, his circumstances weren't always great, and yet, he was a friend to God, right? We don't judge God's faithfulness based on our circumstances. We judge his faithfulness based on what he said in his word, and we trust him. We trust him. Um, and then a bonus question was this. How bad do you want chicken wings right now? <laughs> So bad. So bad, so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna get some wings. Um, as I pray, family, real quick, just remember we have eight people from our church heading to Guatemala to do some missions work this Saturday. They're gonna be gone for a week, including Pastor Travis and Pastor Brian both. That team of eight is gonna be heading out on an airplane on Saturday to Guatemala to partner with this Act 29 church plant that we're planting in the Guatemala City area. So pray for them, family, and then pray for me and Jeremy and Jared because we have to do everything next Sunday. So pray it's not a train wreck. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray for this team of eight going out to obey you. Thank you for them. Thank you for their obedience. Thank you for their willingness to uh, take a week of vacation from work, many of them, Lord, and just go to serve you, uh, Lord, in in this church, this new work for the gospel. Thank you that we're able to partner with that. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for the people of Emmaus Church, Lord. Help us to experience your fullness and richness this week. And I pray it all to the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Love you, family.